So excited to be before you. I love this church. This is my home. I'm excited to be able to minister to you from the word of God in Matthew chapter two, if you have your Bibles. And while you're turning there, I want to give honor and thanks to my pastor, the epitome of a man of God, a true servant, great husband, great father, incredible teacher, a great preacher, a good hunter, and okay fisherman, and everything else. I love you, Pastor Johns. Can we give brother and sister Johns a great hand of appreciation? And sister Johns, we can go on about you too. Such a sweet spirit. Thank you for loving my wife so much and being such a great friend and an example to women all across our movement. You really are a jewel and you are incredible. I love you dearly. To my brothers in arms, the pastoral staff and the rest of the staff members, we we have fun, don't we? I love you guys so much. Thank you for helping me to be a better man, for sharing your dreams with me, letting me share my dreams with you. It has been my life honor. It's been my life honor to be here at Atlanta West. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just really sentimental around Christmas time, and I'm thankful for each and every one of you all. And then to my, my family, someone that was wounded and broken. I really didn't trust myself or trust others too much when I got here. And you guys just opened me, welcomed me with open arms. Thank you so much for loving me, for letting me growl in the microphone on Sunday and all kind of other crazy things that I do throughout the year. I really do appreciate and love each and every one of you. Can you give yourselves a hand for being an incredible church? A great example. I would say the best church in the entire world. I love Atlanta West. Matthew chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. Now that you're finding your verse, I want to give honor and thanks to my beautiful, lovely wife. She skipped uh, three months of Wednesday nights, uh, so I'm going to preach just to her tonight. You just get to be here. She actually hasn't been skipping. She's been helping in children's musical practice, but I'm thankful that you get to sit by me again. It's, it's weird being lonely and sitting by yourself on a Wednesday night every Wednesday. Matthew 2, verses 10 through 11 says, When they saw the star, someone say the star. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, someone say the house. See, they saw the star, but then they came into the house. They saw the young child, Jesus, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. When they followed the star, they came to the house where Jesus was and they fell down and worshiped Jesus. And when they opened their treasures, they presented him gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they came to the house, they fell down and worshiped him. So for the next few moments, I want to preach from the subject. Followed a star, found a shack. Look to your neighbor and said, they followed a star, but they found a shack. Amen. You may be seated. People believe the lie that when they live for God, everything is going to be easy. It's going to be green meadows and everything's great. He leads me beside the still waters. And they cut off the valley of the shadow of death part. It's known as the prosperity gospel. It's a belief that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for people. It's the same principle that sometimes drives a young child to clean their room or do their chores. They think that if they do enough good things and if they are good enough, then maybe, just maybe, mom and dad will buy them a toy. They say, if I don't get in trouble at school, may I have a piece of candy? They eat all their vegetables, then they get their dessert. Or my favorite, I said I'm sorry, so does that mean I'm not getting a spanking, right? I try to use that and 
I'm very flat because I got a lot of spankings. <laughs> Brother Jerry Jones said, if good things only happen to good people, then that must mean when bad things happen to us, it must mean that we are bad people. When I'm serving God and good things should always happen, that means when the bad things are happening, that means that I'm not serving God. If God loves me, then he should only send good things my way. Then why is the bad things happening? It must mean that God doesn't love me. The truth of the matter is that bad things happen to good people. So we must look to the word of God as why do bad things happen? Look to your neighbor and say, why do bad things happen? There are four reasons that I can find in scripture summed up together. Bad things happen just because. Someone say just because. Matthew 5, 45 says he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Sometimes bad things just happen. You get stopped for a random check at the airport. You get a flat tire and we shouldn't blame the devil for everything. The autocorrect on our phone puts in a bad word and we actually send it because we're not paying attention. Or at least you try to say that's an accident because you really wanted to send it. It shines and rains on the just just as well as the unjust. So we must have a positive attitude and a right spirit when bad things happen because they happen just because. Bad things also happen to test our faith. James 1, 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. An example of this is Joseph and the coat of many colors. God was testing his faith before he ultimately brought his promise to pass. So bad things happen just because. Bad things happen to test our faith. And the third thing, third thing is bad things happen to prove God's faithfulness. The story of Job losing everything. Job was tried because the devil said, the only reason why Job serves you is because of all the good things you give to him. Take it all away. Let me kill his family. Let me destroy all that he has and even hurt his health. And he won't serve you no more. And God allowed that to happen to test Job's faith and also to prove God's grace. And then the last thing, sometimes bad things happen to get our attention because we aren't living according to God's will. This doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. However, it means he loves us so much that he does what it takes to get our attention so that we can get right with him. Jonah was swallowed by the well. Paul was blinded by the light. The children of Israel wandered in the wilderness because they weren't living right. So tonight I want to speak on how we should respond when bad things happen just because. How many of y'all have ever had anything bad just happen to you just because? A flat tire, someone in the drive-thru acted crazy, someone cut you off. Sometimes life just happens. And as children of God, there are, is a very clear biblical response about how we're expected to react to it. There's two responses that can happen. Either we worry, someone say worry, or we worship. Either we worry or we worship. Those are the two responses, and the Bible is very clear. They were called to worship. When bad things happen, we're called to still praise God. When it's good, when it's bad, and everywhere in between, we're called to worship God. So tonight, I want to encourage us that we must worship. Look to your neighbor and said, they followed a star, but they found a shack. Matthew 1.18 says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with a child of the Holy Spirit. This virgin woman that never knew a man all of a sudden was pregnant. But Joseph, being a just man, didn't put her away and decided not to make her a public skeptical, but of her instead 
He assumed. And he said, you know what? This must be of God because he heard the voice of the angel. He heard the word of God go forth, so he trusted the angel. And he knew that other people would assume maybe she got that baby from a different stork. A stork delivered a baby that wasn't from Joseph. And so this, this woman is really bad. She's of ill repute. But Joseph didn't treat her that way. So while she was pregnant, Caesar Augustus made a decree that everyone should return to their hometown to be registered. Augustus administrated this tax to receive a tax census. And Joseph and Mary, while they were living in Galilee, they had to go back to where Joseph was from because he was from the house of David. So they traveled to Bethlehem. When they arrived, she gave birth to Jesus, God with us. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and she laid him in a manger, a slobber-stained feeding trough because there was no room for him in the inn. And instead of a palace for the king, or at least a house, the first days of God manifesting flesh living in this world was in a stable. There were shepherds in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night that were visited by an angel. And the angel proclaimed, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The shepherds traveled to Bethlehem and found Jesus in that manger. They worshiped him and they had so much joy that when they left, they echoed what the angels told them and they went to their city and said, for unto us is born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. And after the shepherds left, Mary in Luke chapter two, verses 19, she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. A few days later on the eighth day, Jesus was circumcised and he was officially named. Joseph and Mary then brought Jesus to Jerusalem for Jesus to be dedicated. Then Luke records it this way. So when they had performed all these things, according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became, became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. However, Matthew includes a very important story within this narrative. He includes the wise men. Someone say the wise men. He read a little bit of this story in chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen the star, this bright shining thing in the sky. We saw it in the east and we have come to worship him. The wise men they're also known as magi. They were astrologers. They would study stars and would be used as court officials to interpret dreams and signs according to the book of Daniel. They saw a star that was unlike any other they have seen before. It wasn't a part of a usual constellation. It was never there before. It was so bright and they understood its significance. It was a star to point towards the king of the Jews, the savior of the world. So they started on their travel, 900 miles and King Herod heard of these star followers and that they'd come to find Jesus, king of the Jews. And he felt threatened. So he called all the chief priests and all the scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ was to be born. Herod realized how close Bethlehem really was, so he devised a plan. He secretly met with the wise men to find out from them when the star appeared. He was trying to find out when Jesus was born, and we know that time passed from his birth until now, because later in the story, Herod decided to kill all males between the ages of two and younger. So we knew Jesus was not still where the shepherds were, but he was between two and zero. Herod doesn't know where Jesus is, but Herod does know these three things. The wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, looking after a star 
looking for Jesus. Jesus isn't older than two years yet. And this king of the Jews is a threat to his throne. So Herod commissions the wise men to find Jesus so he can worship him. The wise men left Herod in search to find the young child Jesus. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. These three wise men, they brought, I mean not three wise men, the wise men bought three gifts for Jesus, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These gifts fit for a king are significant because of what they symbolize. Gold represents royalty. This precious and expensive mineral never rusts or dissolves away. The accumulation of gold was one of the chief measures of wealth. Frankincense represents divinity. It's an aromatic gum resign that is still widely used in parts of the Middle East and Africa today. The burning of incense was associated with ceremonial worship of a deity. And myrrh represents his burial to come. It is a fragrant spice derived from the sap of a tree native to the Near East. Myrrh was a key ingredient in preparing bodies for burial. This also has Old Testament significance and symbolism because gold in the Old Testament tabernacles, the holies of holies had the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of the Covenant was overlaid with gold. According to Exodus 30, 34, frankincense was one of the spices that was burned on the altar in the tabernacle. And Exodus 30 also states that myrrh was one of the ingredients used in the anointing oil to ceremonially prepare the priests. These gifts would have also helped Jesus Mary and Joseph be able to escape to Egypt later after the wise men left. And now I hate nativity scenes nowadays because I always have three wise men and Natalie gets mad at me when we go to stores because I'm always like, that's unbiblical, that's not right. Because they say the wise men was there, the shepherds were there, everybody's there, everybody's happy, and Jesus is lying in the manger. There isn't three wise men. Actually, in the 15th century, there's a picture of over 12 wise men Coming. That's just hearsay, but they, they say there was three because it was gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but there's an un, unnamed, unnumbered amount of wise men, and they weren't there when Jesus was born. They were there later between the ages of zero and two. But regardless, the wise men was there, and when they got there, they fell down and worshipped him. They brought these expensive gifts to him. It's important to notice that Joseph, Mary, and Jesus were still in Bethlehem. They didn't go back to Egypt or Nazareth yet. This lower-class family didn't return home. Instead, Bethlehem became their temporary base. They are 90 miles from home. History reveals that people at the most would travel 20 miles back in the day. We don't know how long it really took them to go to Bethlehem because she was pregnant, but at the, at the fastest they could go, they would have went from Nazareth to Bethlehem in four and a half to five days. Imagine if you were pregnant or your wife, if you're a guy, because guys can't get pregnant. I don't know if that's news to you or not. Imagine if your wife is pregnant and you have a five-day journey and you have to drive all the way to Washington State, not D.C. How miserable, how many bathroom stops, how many stores do you have to find pickles in on random sides of the road? How much adventures and odyssey do you have to listen to to get to Washington with a pregnant wife? What kind of medicine, what kind of coffee, what kind of energy drink would you and I have to drink to drive all the way to Washington with the pregnant wife in the passenger seat? And then when you get to Washington, you and your family, the newborn child is there, and instead of going back home, you live in Washington State for two years. I don't know about you, but my house wouldn't look very nice if I went to Washington and I had to stay there for two years. My house is here. 
My home is here. My family is here. So I would, for me, it'd be a little bit easier. I would just go to the basement of my in-law's house. But, you know, we don't have enough room. So you guys, you know, just sleep outdoors or something. I don't know. Might have a tent community or something. It gets pretty cold and it rains all the time and it's gray. So be pretty miserable for all of us. But what kind of situation would you be in? Now imagine this lower class family, Mary and Joseph. They couldn't even afford an inn. They couldn't get anywhere. And so they, they had their child in a manger, in a stable. And then they lived there. How poor. Mary and Joseph's financial status shows because they was giving birth to a king, yet they were in a stable, not a palace. He was wrapped in common swaddling clothes and not silk. He was lying in a manger instead of a lavish crib. Mary, Joseph, and their young child find themselves still in Bethlehem when the wise men from the east came. This is where we find our story, Matthew chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. And when they saw the star, someone say the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. At the birth of Jesus and in these scriptures, a very important principle is found. Oftentimes, a promise doesn't always look like what we thought it should. The wise men were used to being around royalty. They just left Herod's palace. They knew the customs when coming to royalty because they brought these expensive gifts to offer the child. However, they didn't find a palace. Instead, they found a lower class house, a shack. They followed a star, but they found a shack. The trip wasn't wasted for the wise men because they found Jesus. They didn't let what they saw make them to forget what God said, that his promises are still true, that Jesus, the king of the world, the savior that has come to die for our sins is still there. Yes, it's not a palace. Yes, it's just a poor person's shack, but Jesus is still there. So as long as he's still there, I'm going to worship. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to fret. I'm still going to give my gifts. I'm going to give my all, even if it doesn't meet my expectations, even if it doesn't always look like what I thought I was going to look like. I'm still going to worship because Jesus is in it. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy because of promises of God. Imagine how excited they were traveling to meet Jesus, God, manifest in flesh, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. But then when they got there, they found the shack. And like you and I, we have promises from the word of God. We follow this star. That's why we live for him. Let's not act like we're so super spiritual that we're just running this race not to win. No, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God. One thing have I desired, and that's what I will seek after. I live for God because I love living for God, but I'm also searching after heaven. I'm also searching to be able to know him for eternity. I'm running to win. I'm not fighting as I'm beating the air, but I'm running because the thing is still true. Heaven is real, and I have Jesus to gain. So I have these promises, and we rejoice with those promises, with exceeding great joy. Promises like Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Joshua 1, 5, that God says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, I hath not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that he has prepared for those which he loves. Philippians 1, 
1.6, being confident of this very thing that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I still have joy because I'm following that star. I still have joy because heaven's my home. I still have joy because no matter what's going on around me, there's a promise. I have a word from God and that's all I need. That's why I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness because everything else will be taken care of. God is sovereign. He's owner of all and he supplies all of our needs. And God has given you a specific word. You are called. You are anointed. God has given you a ministry, very specific. He has a place for you. Your family member will come back into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how long that they've been gone. Mama, you've been praying for years. You've been crying for years, but those that reap in tears, those that sow in tears will reap in joy. You don't give up on that family member. Why? Because you got a word from God. So you follow after that star with exceedingly great joy. Your loved one will come to themselves. The ones that aren't in church, they will find Jesus. They will be baptized in his name. They will repent. They will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's why we go after God with everything we have, because there's a star signifying the promise. God will give you wisdom on how to raise your children. That's a promise that God has given you. That's his word. God will support you and supply for you financially. Because you obeyed his call to a generous sacrifice. God gave you a word, very specific. And I don't know what each and every one of you's word is from God. But God gave you a word this Christmas season. Why don't you grab a hold of that again and say, Jesus came to this world so I can have a word from him. And it doesn't matter what it looks like. I have a word from God. So I'm going to follow the star. I'm going to rejoice with exceeding great joy. God declared that he will make a way where there seems to be no way. But let's all be honest. Though we have a promise from God, it doesn't always look like we expected it. Look to your neighbor and said, they followed a star, but they found a shack. If you and I find ourselves at a shack because of our own mistakes, this message is not for you. This message is, the message for you would be to repent and get right with God, get right or get left. If you're, you're making crazy mistakes and stuff, then God's, God's word obviously isn't in it. So bad things are happening because you're being crazy, not because bad things are happening just because. But for the ones where bad things just happen, you're going through a low point. You don't understand the transitions and the things that are going on in your life. This message is for you. The star led the wise men exactly to where Jesus was. But the words of the prophet led them to Bethlehem. They started to go to Jerusalem because they knew the word of God. They knew to follow the signs. So if we follow the word of God and we follow that star and we come to a shack, that's what this message is all about. Because some of us have found ourselves at a shack, this unexpected low place in our lives. But you know what? God always keeps his word even when we are going through. Does it seem like it? This principle is found all throughout the story, even in the Bible and the one that we're reading. The wise men had joy when they followed the star. But there was a dilemma because when they got to Jesus, he was in a shack. There wasn't gold at the end of the rainbow. Instead, there was a pile of rocks that contained gold within them. And so they had to mine to get the gold. And this is found in Joseph who had this dream, but it took him 14 years for it to come to fruition. 
God promised the Israelites a land flowing with milk and honey, but when they got there, it was infested with giants. Job was living a righteous life when everything was taken away. Jesus told his disciples about his kingdom, but they were confused because he died before he established it on the earth. God told Ezekiel, prophesy to those dry bones and they shall live. Their bones, what do you mean? Live. All throughout the Bible, this principle where bad things happen, God's promises, his word goes forth, but then when we get there, it doesn't meet our expectations. Abraham and Sarah had a promise that he would be a father of many nations, but she was barren. And then when she finally had a child, Isaac, God called him to sacrifice his son. Abraham gathered wood for the burnt offering, and he declared that he and his son were going to worship. I always wondered why he didn't call it what it was. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to kill my son. But instead, he, he understood something deeper about the word of God. He said, no, I am going to worship because when I obey his word, even at my inconvenience, even at my discomfort, it's worship. Because God's promises are always true, even though they don't meet our expectations. Now, this isn't my message, but just imagine Isaac. He asked his dad, well, where is the lamb? We have the wood. We have a knife. We have fire. What's going to die? It's me and you. What's going to die? And Abraham proclaimed, God will provide. Abraham tied up his son, laid him on the altar, and he grabbed the knife when all of a sudden God stopped him. Abraham looked up from down at his son, and all of a sudden there was a ram caught in the bushes. Abraham didn't just have joy when the promise was given that you're going to be a father of many nations. You will have a child. But Abraham also had faith and joy and a spirit of worship, even though his expectations weren't being met when he went up the mountain to sacrifice his son because he understood that God's promises are always true. Abraham didn't let what he saw make him forget what God said. Abraham followed a star. He found a shack, but he still worshiped. His brother Jury said, worrying is never the answer. Worry is practical atheism. It's rooted in unbelief that God truly won't provide all that we need. Great message. If you didn't get to hear it last Sunday, then please go back and listen to it. The faith behind first. I almost preached tonight first has faith behind it, but I think it's too close. Maybe next year I'll preach that. Just act like you never heard it before. I'm also going to preach Christmas couldn't be killed by a king if I preach next Christmas, okay? And pondering practices, that one too. We are called to worship, not to worry. This happens all the time in our life where we follow a star, but yet we find a shack. We get married in God's will. Very important, young people. In God's will. But then there are problems. And for the sake of my marriage, I will not elaborate. <laughs> Actually, I told you, you've been skipping church, so I'm going to preach to you tonight. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to have to stay with one of you guys in your guest room. God bless you with children. The star, the promises of God, isn't it great? But at 3 in the morning, at 5 in the morning, at 7 in the morning, when you didn't think it was going to be like what you thought, and they only like chicken nuggets and pizza and they don't want anything else, 
When Uncle DJ gives them apple juice at a restaurant and they're drinking three, four cups of apple juice and it just messes up the rest of the night for your family. Is that right, Brother Brandon and Sister Kanisha? Juiced. <laughs> That's what Miles said. He loved apple juice that night. God blesses us with this star. It's a promise, but it doesn't always happen and go like we thought it would. We're faithful in tithes and offerings, yet at times financially it's tough. I remember when a few months after marriage, our dryer went out, our dishwasher went out, and our refrigerator went out. Don't worry, I'm not going to take up an offering tonight. <laughs> Unless you want to, I'm joking, don't do that. <laughs> and all three went out, and Natalie was at work, and I, was, I got home, and I was there by myself, and I, I'm unscrewing stuff on the dryer. I don't know what I was unscrewing. I'm just taking things apart. I'm on YouTube, and some guy's talking 10 minutes, something they could have said in three minutes, and I'm like, hurry up. And I just got so frustrated because nothing I would do would work. And I've already spent money on it, and I'm miserable, and I'm not a handyman with a dryer, and I don't know what to do. And so what I did is I went to my kitchen. I grabbed some virgin olive oil or maybe Crisco or something. I grabbed some oil, and I had a prayer meeting. I went around to every appliance in my house, and I started dabbing new oil because that's what grandma would do. That, that Baptist church, she'd grab oil and throw it everywhere. And so I started getting oil. I said, God, I'll rebuke this dryer. In the name of Jesus, I need it to work, produce heat. Like the, the three Hebrew children, I need fire to come because I'm tired of wearing wet jeans and my pockets are making my phone have wet lint on it. It's weird, and I don't like it. And I literally prayed, and I cried. I said, God, I can't do it no more. Help me, because bad things happen just because. We give up our time and our energy volunteering at the church, but then we get weary. We volunteer week after week, and we feel like we don't have a break. We're constantly pouring out over and over again, but yet we don't feel like we're getting a lot. I'm right at home with you guys. I, I live in the world with you guys. Life happens. Life gets hard. Life can get tough. We worship God by living a holy and separated lifestyle in our attitudes, action, and appearances. But then sometimes it feels inconvenient to our flesh. And our flesh says, is this even important? Is it even worth it? We follow the star that when we live holy, good things happen to us, that God has so many promises for us. But then when we live it out, sometimes life just happens. But we can't let what we see make us forget what God said. We can't let what we see make us forget what God said. So today I try to get some stuff together for the sermon, and I call Chick-fil-A. I spoke to Miss Annette a manager, and I asked her for some help on my sermon. I told her about AWPC's love for Chick-fil-A, and she even gave Nat and I a free meal tonight. I was so excited about that. How many of y'all love Chick-fil-A? Miss Annette, that's for you. She said she was going to be watching. So at Chick-fil-A, ooh, come on. Come on now. What I get is a spicy chicken sandwich meal, extra pickles, pepper jack cheese, Chick-fil-A sauce. We should just put this in the place of oil. What do you think about that? It would just be, be wonderful all over the place. After I dab someone's head, it's good. It's just good. Can't have fries in our pockets walking around. I love going to Chick-fil-A, and I get that plastic thing that has a weird, you know, picture of one of the foods on, and I go put it on my table, and I know that heavenly food is on the way. 
I did not steal this tray. The manager, Will, said I could borrow it, and I told him I'd bring it back after church, so don't worry about me getting arrested for this tray. I might bring it back. I would like this at home. I love Chick-fil-A. Sometimes, before I even get to my seat, the manna from heaven comes down into my hand. I love it. And in a rare chance that Chick-fil-A gets my order wrong, I just know that that's what God wanted me to have. I just trust Chick-fil-A like that. They know what I need before I need it. There was a ram in the thicket. I didn't need spicy chicken sandwich. I needed a regular. I love Chick-fil-A. Now, I haven't gone to Chick-fil-A as much as Brandon Cowden. He's like an extreme red member. He has, a, he has a card to headquarters himself. Literally, if you want a meal, just say, Brandon, let's go out to eat and let him pay with his Chick-fil-A points. He has plenty. But I've never gotten to Chick-fil-A and all of a sudden they had a golden box for me. I never went to Chick-fil-A and then my spicy chicken sandwich was on a silver platter. And I've never thought to myself, man, this bag is really cheap. Why is it in this? Why is this not a chalice? Is that a cup, right? I didn't study that part. Is this a chalice? That's a cup, right? Okay, thank you. I need help. I need guidance from my pastor. Why is it a cup? And Miss Annette, we talked for about 15 minutes, and I explained to her my sermon, and she thought it was so cool. And she said that a medium fry box costs only three cents. That a 20-ounce cup costs four cents. That the sandwich bag only costs three cents, three pennies. You can find that in Walmart parking lot, and you get a Chick-fil-A bag. Wow, that's incredible. None of us get frustrated when they bring this amazing food out on this tray and say, why is it in that container? Why is it in a three-cent container? Because you don't go to Chick-fil-A for the container. You go to Chick-fil-A for the food. Now, you might go to Popeye's, and you have to have a license in fighting and jiu-jitsu and a <laughs> UFC MMA fighter, and that, that chicken sandwich is good. I love it. It ain't consistent like Chick-fil-A, but it's good. But you don't go to these restaurants and get upset because of the container. Why? Because you're there for the contents. Well, why do we act different with the word of God? That when God gives us a promise and it comes in a container and not a chalice, we get frustrated and say, God, why does it look this way? Why is it taking so long? And we get frustrated at the promises of God instead of saying, you know what? I'm in it for the contents. The word of God is yes and amen. His promises are true. His word is forever settled in heaven. So I don't care if it's a three cent package. I don't care what the container looks like. I'm in it for the word of God. I'm in it for my family to be saved. I'm to follow the star, but when I get to a shack, I don't care how much it looks, how bad it is, how poor it is, I trust in God because God is in it. God is in it. And the story of the wise men reveal this principle. Brother Brandon, you can have this if you'd like. It's a little bit cold, but you can have it. The story of the wise men reveal this principle. They followed a star, but yet they found a shack. Maybe Jesus would be in a palace. Imagine the thoughts that were going through their head as they were traveling, following the star. No, 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 maybe a castle. Oh, I love castles, and there's knights all around. Maybe he has a, a golden throne and marble floors, or maybe a courtyard with a giant fountain with juiced apple juice flowing out of it, or maybe a garden with every kind of fruit known to man. 
What would the king of the world have? And they followed this star with joy, rejoiced exceedingly. And they followed it, but they found a shack. And I know I'm driving this point home. And I know we all understand that life gets hard. But as Brother Johns would say, well, so what? What does this information mean? Life is hard. It's rough. It's at times miserable, annoying, confusing, and a bunch of other adjectives. But regardless, God's promises are still true. And we can't allow what we see to make us to forget what God said. We must do what the wise men did. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come to the shack, that house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they, they fell down and they worshipped him. They opened their gifts, their treasures, and they presented it to him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They rejoiced when they saw the star, but they also worshipped when they got to the shack. They worshipped in the shack. They praised God even in a low place. These rich men got on the ground and they worshipped this young child, Jesus, God, manifested in flesh. They didn't worry about the container. They didn't worry about what it looked like because they knew what God said. And so they simply worshipped him. They didn't worry. They didn't act out in practical atheism. They didn't complain. They didn't whisper to their friends. They didn't vent on social media about stuff. They didn't talk bad about leadership and ministry and church to people. They didn't do any of that stuff. When life got hard, when they found a shack, they kept that same joy and they turned it into worship. They didn't yell at Will the manager for a three-cent fry box. Instead, they dipped that French fry in Chick-fil-A sauce and they worshiped God. So what happens when we get to unmet expectations? We worship when God calls us to sacrifice and we're just not really financially comfortable with it, what do we do? We worship. When it seems like life is too hard and I can't go along anymore, we worship. When there are problems in our family and we're just not getting along, what do we do? We worship. When there is sickness in our bodies and we just don't get it, instead of believing the prosperity gospel, you know what we're going to do? We're going to worship. When living a holy life seems annoying to our flesh, you know what we're going to do? We are going to worship. When God's promises take longer than what we thought, we are still gonna worship we're not gonna let what is going on around us make us forget what God said even when I don't see it he's working even when I don't feel it he is working God truly never stops working and we should never stop worshiping. Why? Because God's promises are yes and amen. He is not a man that he should lie. His word will come to pass. He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. I've got so much to thank God for. So many blessings, so many open doors, a brand new mercy along with each new day. That's why I praise him. For this, I give him praise for every mountain that he brought me over for every trial that he has seen me through for every blessing. Hallelujah. I'm going to give God praise no matter the circumstance. Let's take a moment and worship God right now. In spite of your storm, in spite of what's going on, despite your family, can you just worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords?
Amen. You may be seated. An illustration that Brother Woodward once said reminded me of what happened yesterday. Nat made a Texas sheet cake. She made it for everyone at my barbershop. I got a fresh cut. I'm so thankful. Steve, you're awesome. I appreciate you. She randomly will send baked goods with me to the barbershop. It helps me to evangelize because it builds relationships. God, guys love food, so it always helps. It helps me to open up to them a little bit more. One barber was done for the day, and on his way out, he grabbed a piece. My barber, Steve, sits right by the door. That's where he cuts hair. And so this barber grabbed a piece on his way out. And before he even walked out the door, he started to take a bite. Door closed behind him. Not even five seconds later, he turns around. Comes back in the store and says, man, I got to get some more of those. Those were so good. So he grabbed a plate from the back, and he put like 10 on his plate. He took them home. Incredible. She's a great cook, a great baker. As you can tell, I'm getting, I'm getting weight. Yes, Brother Jimmy, I'm trying to lose it. I know that. He said, man, those are good. I need, to, I need some more. Yesterday was a good day in the barbershop. We're talking, we're laughing, we're having a good time, and there's food. It's always good. But the guys didn't know it was in the Texas sheet cake, but they did know that it was good. My barber, since he was cutting, he didn't get to have one yet, and I told him when I was leaving, I said, hey, let me know what you think about them. He said, no, I know they're good. Your wife's made me cinnamon rolls and muffins and all kind of other stuff. Like, she can cook, bro. I, they're good. Well, I looked at the recipe today. I opened my Bible, and then on my desk I also had a recipe book open, and that was my sermon notes for the day. And um, the recipe calls for two sticks of butter, one cup of water, four tablespoons of cocoa, two cups of sugar, two cups of flour, half a cup of buttermilk, two eggs, a teaspoon of baking soda, teaspoon of vanilla, and six tablespoons of milk. Now, what do you think my barber's, my barber's shop would have done? Phil walked in there with a stick of butter and said, hey, my wife got this for you. Eat up, boys. My, my hairline would be like, yeah, oh. be bad. I'd be wearing a cap in church, for real. I would not come here with that. What do you, they might like the sugar, they might even like the cocoa, but how much do you think they would enjoy that cup of flour? If I just walked in, it's like, here's a cup of flour for you, eat it. It's going to be great. They got water in the back, you're probably going to need it or you're going to choke. Eating a teaspoon of baking soda probably wouldn't be that good or even enjoyable. However, when you follow the recipe, you put the ingredients in the bowl in the right way, you mix it all up, you put it in the oven for 400 degrees for 15 minutes and then you let it cool, you have a Texas sheet cake glory. That principle is along the same lines of what Paul probably had in mind when he wrote Romans 8. Though everything we go through doesn't always feel good, when God puts it in the bowl and he mixes it together, he works it together for the good. Yes, oftentimes life can be hard and bad things happen just because. But God works it together for the good. We know that all, someone say all, all, that all things work together for the good. To them that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep 
for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things that come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else can separate us from the love of God. Though the container isn't always good to look at, though it's a shack and I had joy with the star, I'm still going to turn that joy into worship because all things work together for the good. Yes, that egg doesn't taste good by itself, but when you follow the recipe, when you live according to the word of God, it works together for something great to happen in your life. So you keep cooking, baby. You don't stop following the word of God. You don't give up on his promises. You don't stop praying. You don't stop praising. You don't stop giving. You don't stop serving. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. These are our promises. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. God's come on Christmas so that we can have life and life more abundantly. And he says he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And we can be confident of this very thing that he which has begun a good work in us will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So we worship, we worship, we worship. As I was preparing this today, my heart was broken in my office and I wept for this church because this is such a great church. Sacrificial giving is mind blowing. It doesn't even make sense how time after time you all give, you sacrifice. I am honored, privileged to say I am a part of Atlanta West Pentecostal Church. The anointing that seeps and drips off of you all every single Sunday from sound to media, to chips, to ushers, to parking lot, to choir, to musicians. Every service, every part that y'all do, y'all do it with all y'all have. It's incredible. We are blessed. Over 340 volunteers, hundreds of thousands of dollars, not staying in the church, but going to missions. And you would think in such a great church that there's no problems, that there's no health issues, that everybody's family is together. There's no arguments. There's no kids acting crazy, that everything is perfect. But I know because I'm one of you, I'm doing my best to live for God. And I've had good days, I've had bad days. Me and Natalie don't always see eye to eye. Finances can get tough sometimes when I'm not being a good steward. And sometimes it's frustrating to sacrifice and all of a sudden you have two flat tires and you gotta pay money for new tires. I get it, but when bad things happen, we don't worry. What we're gonna do tonight is we're gonna worship with everything we have. We follow the star, we found a shack. When we get there, we're gonna worship God. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for another day. Thank you for an incredible church. Thank you for your promises, for your word. Though the fry box is cheap, God, the contents are great. Though the situation is bleak, it's bad, it seems terrible. Your word is true. So I trust in you, I worship you, I give you my all. If that's you today, will you join me at this altar and you make a declaration of God, I'm gonna trust you. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. So I'm gonna worship, I'm gonna worship, I'm gonna worship, I'm gonna worship. 
look good. Your body is falling apart. Hey, worship, worship, worship. God, I love you. God, I worship you. God, thank you for saving me, for coming as a baby, Jesus. I give you my life again, God. Give me energy, capacity, courage to live for you even harder, God. To do everything I can. Help me to trust your word.